God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show, and I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by Leonor Kubota. Hello, Leonor. Good morning, Scott. It's just one day before Christmas. That's right. That's absolutely correct. This is our Christmas show. And uh, a lot, lot's been going on. Um, we were hoping for the Pence card yesterday. We didn't see it, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. That did, did it mean that it still isn't possible? Well, it's still possible all the way up until the 6th. We're going to have Ivan Racklin on. Uh, he was on In the Matrix yesterday, and we're going to have him on our show today and uh, uh, about talk about the Pence card because the, uh, the idea is that there's still a, a lot of different paths to victory. And we're not going to talk about a, bri- a, 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 a Biden anything until he at least becomes something official like a president-elect, which he's not. He's not a president-elect. Right. We don't have a president-elect. Despite have... the fact that he set up a president-elect office. Right. right. So the office of the president-elect should get like one of those uh, fact-checkers to fact-check it because the only lie in town in Washington right now or in Wilmington is, in fact, Joe Biden. Joe Biden's the liar, uh, and he's getting away with a whole bunch of lies. And he doesn't get checked. Everything that Trump tweets gets fact-checked. Everything we're doing seems to get flagged by Facebook. Um, we're uh, banned all over the place. And for what? We're just doing a, a, a radio show. That's it. Well, That's we, what we're we doing. We got banned for you doing a promotion saying the show's on at 8. I mean, you know, it gets, it gets to yeah, the point the show, of ridiculousness. Check out the show at 8. And, and my, Oops, and, I'm sorry. We said something wrong. <clears throat> ScottAdamsShow.com. You can't even get there with Facebook. So if you if you were to type in, hey, check out this guy, ScottAdamsShow.com, it says this site's been banned for, and then it gives you a whole list of reasons, like as if I'm a terrorist, you know? And all I'm doing is talking about 
what I see are the facts. And when we report something that we can't verify, we we say say that. We say, you know, this is what so-and-so said, or this is what so-and-so said. This is the chatter. But we don't know this to be true. This is what's being said. You know, sadly, I don't know this to be true, but uh, Rush Limbaugh may have given his last show. You, you You know, I think some of that may have been out of context because they said it was his last show before the new year. Well, that's true. Yeah. No, that part is it's a fact. True. That's the plan. He's 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 already talked about 2021, right? As uh, you know, uh, c- couldn't possibly be worse than 2020. But uh, you know, he's looking frail, and uh, that's going to be probably he's going to be back on the radio ten days from now. Let's let's pray that let's he is. Let's hope and pray that he is. Um, yeah. But some people are saying, you know, uh, maybe maybe uh, he won't be up to the task you know he he'll uh, maybe he'll be on chemo or something like that he's taking chemo already we don't know but uh the, again that's uh something that was reported out there in the ether and again we, we just say we don't really know um that's not news that's just you know he did give a very heartwarming he, he uh, did and uh, we and we have end to of re- the year um and end of the year commentary. And we do need to remember that this is this time of the year, and we'll talk about this more at the end, where it's a time for reflection and uh, renewal and redemption. And you think about, you know, what a hard year it's been, and it's been particularly hard, you know, for somebody like him who's already suffering with an illness. I do want to mention before we move on to the next topic that a big, big news was that President Trump has pardoned. 26 individuals and, and passed three com- computations. So some among the high-profile people that he pardoned, the other day it was George Papadopoulos. There was uh, his former campaign manager, Paul Manafort, his former advisor, Roger Stone, um, the fa- Charles Kushner, who's the father of his son-in-law and advisor, Jared Kushner. So, I mean, and then there were the former con- uh, the congressman, uh, Collins, and... Um, yeah, I'm forgetting the other name, but there were there were at least two. There were several different people that that he that he has pardoned. Um, Edward. He also um, Stone asked Trump to consider. This is Roger Stone granting full and, and unconditional pardons to Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Marcus Garvey, and former Secret Service agent Abraham Bolden. Yeah, I, so, I agree with that, though. I, I think that uh, Hunter he, Hunter was the other name I was thinking of, D- Duncan Hunter. I, I really think that Snow, Snowden should be treated like a whistleblower, and 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 um, he should at least have a uh, fair shake in court to see whether or not he's a traitor. Uh, but I, I think he, and I'm not even a big Snowden fan, but um, I, I would say for a lot of reasons, but uh, his whistleblowing served a purpose, served a purpose. And, and we were being uh, lied to by uh, the people that he exposed. So I, I think that's whistleblower stuff right yeah. there. You know, if Eric Sierra Mella, uh, you know, can get away with whatever they were trying to do as a coup against our president, um, you know, then what have you. But, yeah. uh, you know, and then, of course, Julian Assange, obviously, is a publisher. And then and then also taking a look back at knowing what we know now, um, when you take a look back at, um, you know, what what uh, Mark Zuckerberg has been accused of doing and Mark Zuckerberg uh, and Facebook investing in voting machines and coordinating coordination and working with uh, foreign governments, uh, I really think that uh, Mark Zuckerberg is a danger to America, much in the same vein as uh, George Soros. 
<clears throat> George Soros financing, strategically financing and systematically financing across the country in key battleground states, you know, where you can't even see it coming because, you know, you're going through your day-to-day life and you got these crazy people that hate America and endorse socialism. And they are systematically and secretly financing campaigns and getting people elected. And then all of a sudden, these people become rogue agents of a terror group known as Mark Zuckerberg Incorporated or George Soros Incorporated. Uh, George Soros has these mini groups all over the world, like the International Renaissance Fund. Sounds great, but it, it was designed to, and used to overthrow Ukraine once upon a time. These are systems designed to overthrow governments, and they, 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 they literally go to the whiteboard and they draw out flowcharts and figure out exactly where the Achilles' heels are in every single place. And um, and I want to I want to actually address that. In uh, there's a clip that we have, and uh, we're going to get to two clips. One is uh, sort of an interesting thing, to where. Um, our new uh, our Chris Walker, I think is his name. What's our new uh, d- d- acting Department of Defense? Oh, it's uh, Ro- I think his name is Josh Rosen. Let me. No. 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 So, oh, you said. Oh, I'm sorry. I was Chris- saying the Attorney General, Acting def- uh, Defense. I'll look it up. Yeah. In any case, um, yeah, it's Charles Walker, Chris Walker, something like that. But here he is. He's uh, congratulating. Pence on a Christopher ma- Miller. Christopher Miller. Okay, Walker Miller. <laughs> well, um, you got the Christopher right. <laughs> that's right. And now, you know, I had that name in front of me elsewhere, but uh, it wasn't in front of me right now. Uh, so, listen to what he has to say. It's kind of interesting. Vice President, I'm going off script again. I know, but uh, I just want to personally thank you. Uh, we've been through some stuff. We've gone through. Uh, some inc- some of the most complex military operations this country's ever conducted, and your steady hand and your leadership during those was uh, a great source of strength for me. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your character. Thank you for your selfless service. Thank you for commitment. Thank you for being a mentor to me, Mr. Vice President. And with that, the floor is yours, sir. So a lot of people are talking about that. Listen again, what he has to say here. It's kind of interesting. I know, but uh, I just want to personally thank you. Uh, we've been through some stuff. We've gone through uh, some, inc- some of the most complex military operations this country's ever conducted. Uh, some, inc- some of the most complex military operations this country's ever conducted. What could that be about? Yeah, I mean that. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't know that 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 smells to me like like uh, it, it could be related to uh, election fraud yeah. a- abroad. Yeah, that would be very complex. It could be that uh, you know that German uh, the German raid they were talking about. Yeah. Uh, you know, Sidney Powell has been talking about it, right? I mean, it's not like Sidney Powell is just lying through her teeth and making stuff up and then walking into the White House and potentially becoming um, President Trump's uh, personal or White House counsel. Um, you know, and Patrick Byrne, you know, wasn't wasn't joking when he was talking about what he was talking about. Neither is Rudy Giuliani. They're, these people are not making fools out of themselves. They're not. 
they're they're speaking truth to power and they need to be taken they need to be taken seriously so you know that's the, that's the thing is, is these people are serious people and we need to take them seriously uh let's go ahead and take a listen to this particular video that Donald Trump uh tweeted out and uh it goes into a lot of the fraud and then we're going to get into uh, something else related to how we got here. I'm going to level with you now. Anyone who has escaped communist China, Russia, Cuba, or North Korea can see the writing on the wall. In 1963, the communist goals to overthrow the United States were entered into congressional record. They stated, capture one or both of the political parties, infiltrate the press, gain control of key positions in radio, TV, and motion pictures. After this election, it's pretty clear these goals have been achieved. And the more you look into it, the more you see that all roads lead to China, or more specifically the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP. Guess who owns a massive chunk of Hollywood, including AMC theaters and legendary film studios? You got it, the CCP. Guess who pays millions of dollars to mainstream newspapers, including the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, to publish their propaganda? The CCP. And guess who's given the Biden family billions of dollars? Yes, the CCP. Now do you see why Biden is the media's darling? On the contrary, Who's been the biggest thorn in the CCP's side? Who stood up to their abusive trade policies and slapped them with billions of dollars in tariffs? Who dismantled their stranglehold on manufacturing and brought American factories and jobs back home? Who stopped the pillaging of U.S. intellectual property? Who put serious penalties in place for violating religious freedoms? And finally, who had the guts to call a spade a spade and rightfully point a finger at the CCP for concealing a virus that has crippled our entire world? President Trump. Now do you understand why they hate him so much? They've been coming after America, coming after you and I for decades, and their plan was basically complete. That is, until President Trump got in their way. Right now, we're in a battle for our republic. The enemy is already inside the gates. Even those we thought we could trust have turned on us. They're not fighting with guns and bombs. Like no, Fox News. But with words, ideas, and narratives. Because what they're fighting for are our minds. In 1956, communist leader Khrushchev said, we will take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the US. We will destroy you from within. I hope you can see now that the invisible enemy is communism and the most deadly virus is the Chinese Communist Party. It sneaks into a country through the vices of corrupt politicians, businessmen, and people with power and influence. It rips through cities and towns, bodies and minds, leaving no stone unturned, no soul untouched, and a trail of death and destruction in its wake. 
It sows its seeds by convincing us that lies are truth. Evil is good and hatred is love. That division is unity and that our enemies are each other. Man versus woman, rich versus poor, black versus white, left versus right. It takes root when we feel helpless, afraid, and alone. It erases our history and slanders our forefathers and teaches our children to hate themselves, their families, and their country. It ridicules our beliefs, undermines our values, and attacks our way of life. It even demands that we kneel down in shame. But we will not be ashamed. It can't pull the wool over our eyes anymore because we know who we are. We fought to escape tyranny. We bled to end slavery. We revere the brave men who died to secure our freedom. We welcome people of all races and religions. We love our neighbors. We help the poor. We cherish our families. We work hard for what we have. We unite in times of hardship. We know good from evil and truth from lies. And we know that our rights don't come from the government, but from God. And we will fight to the death to protect those rights. The time ahead is critical. We, the people, need to call upon our president to defend us from enemies, foreign and domestic, and uphold his oath. For the time being, we still have free press and free speech at our fingertips. But if we don't grab hold of them now, we'll lose them forever. Independent, honest media companies like OAN, Newsmax, and the Epoch Times will guide us out of the darkness, while mainstream media will only drag us further down. It's time to stop giving them our money, our attention, and our minds. Unlike their Facebook pages, unsubscribe from their emails, unfollow them on Twitter, delete their apps, and stop visiting their websites. Support the countless patriots who've gone through hell and high water to get this information to you. Like their content, subscribe to their channels, share their videos, spread their message. Stop using Google search. Google is censoring every result and robbing you of your right to know the facts. Start using DuckDuckGo and compare them. You'll be shocked. Get off Twitter and Facebook and switch to Parler. Join millions of patriots who have already turned their backs on these toxic companies who dare silence our voices. Join the millions of patriots who are standing up and rallying across the country, demanding justice and rejecting communism. Our enemies snuck in during the night and tried to use the media to lull us to sleep while they stole our country. But instead, they awoke the sleeping giant. We see them for who they are now. And they'll never be able to fool us again. They tried to trigger a great reset, but instead, they triggered a great awakening. 
We will not look back five years from now and tell our children that we did nothing as our nation was stolen. We will tell them that we fought for and won our freedom just like our forefathers in 1776. America is the last bastion of freedom in the world. We are the only remaining threat to the CCP virus. If we fall, the world will fall. But we will not fall. It's time to stand with our founding fathers and to invoke the power of we the people and the power of God. We are the patriots. What he just said about communism and invasion, it's a long video that we just played if you didn't hear it. And it talked about communism invading America without a shot. It goes all the way back to the 50s and Khrushchev and, and Russia and... Uh, and beyond China. This was a plan attack uh, from China. And I look at this as, you know, I think that the Dominion uh, voting machines are just as just as uh, evil and as deadly as tanks and missiles on a battlefield are machine guns. Uh, I understand that Georgia's Secretary of State Raffensperger is calling for an end to, uh, if you look at the Epic Times, Calling for an end to uh, to the uh, uh, no excuses early voting uh, early voting, so apparently they're admitting that there's been several problems, and uh, that in and of itself is uh, is is kind of interesting. Now we're going to take a listen to this audio clip right here because this audio clip is just astounding. I love it. Uh, it just spells it out in one minute. It pretty much solves, tells you everything you want to hear, or everything you want to know about what happened. So it says here, it starts off, and it says, uh, an election stolen. How to steal an election. Start with a virus, imported into America. Talk about it nonstop. Call some governors. Not them, not them. That's your guys. Put patients into nursing homes. Call thousands. Blame the president. Keep blaming. Blame some more. Lock down small business. Kill the economy. Push mail-in voting. Stoke a race war. Call for riots. Pick a candidate. No, not her. Yeah, that's more like it. Lock him in his basement. Shield him from the press. Don't cover this. Don't cover this. Don't cover this. Keep doing that. Ignore the economic recovery. Downplay the world peace. Pump the pulse. Pump. Pump. Don't stop pumping. Install your software in swing states. That was fast. Take control of polling stations. Call off the election when you're losing. Kick everyone out. Pull out all the extra ballots. Get the software to do its thing. Get the media to say it's over. Call the big tech guys. Ban anyone who notices. Act like the whole thing never happened. Stealing the most powerful republic in the world. It's that easy. So, you know, uh, there was a, a caller into the Hannity show, and they were yeah. talking about uh, this caller just basically saying, you know, we're in your face with this. We, we took advantage of an opportunity. Whether it was COVID that lent itself to the opportunity or whether COVID was planned, and we've always debated that issue, whether or not that virus was let up by mistake uh, or whether it was malicious, uh, the, re- the reaction, the Chinese reaction was malicious. There's no doubt about that, whether it was a mistake initially or not. 
But it did not take long for people like a Rahm Emanuel type, a liberal, to exploit an opportunity out of a tragedy. You know, don't never never let a tragedy go to waste. Is what he said. And sure enough, they used the COVID to to get their pipe dream, which was mail-in balloting, right? And they they had then already planned um, in October 2019 before the virus. They were pushing mail-in balloting. So these were all things that they were trying to do. And the candidate that they picked wasn't the best candidate. Obviously, he was the worst candidate. But the candidate that they picked was the insured candidate, the puppet. And the candidate that they wanted could never get elected. That was Kamala Harris. And they put her on the ticket. And here we are fighting for our lives. And we're going to speak with Ivan Racklin. Uh, to talk about not just the Pence card that just happened, but we're also going to talk about uh, the steps forward between now and the few business days we have left until January 6th. Ivan Racklin, uh, welcome to the Scott Adams Show. Hey, Scott, you almost got it up right. It's Ivan Raiklin, that's how I pronounce it. Raiklin. Ivan Raiklin, yes. And I spoke with you a couple of days ago, and I loved what you had to say about the Pence card. Uh, and we were um, chatting on the Twitter and uh, texting. And I, I wanted to make sure that you were heard. And uh, the Pence card has come and gone yesterday. The deadline was yesterday. But that doesn't mean that a letter wasn't sent out to the secretaries of state, does it? Correct. So, I mean, uh, there was a lot of chatter about it, obviously, yesterday. I think it was trending number one all day on Twitter. The president uh, got took notice of it, retweeted that. I'm sure most of us saw that. Yes. And I just think it was opportunity i use the baseball analogy of you know it's, it's the bottom of the six two outs bases loaded three balls two strikes and uh vice president pence is up to bat uh is he going to take that fastball and strike out or is he going to go for the fences and he i think he missed an opportunity now that's not to say that he's not going to be at bat again he will be at bat again for pence card two on january 6th as he presides over the senate and that's really where i think a lot of people were confusing the Pence card option, as as I argued it under Title Three of the U.S. Code, Section 15, where he sends these letters, potentially sends these letters to the Secretaries of State, of uh, the Amistad Project filed a lawsuit the prior day to file an injunction on those states that certified their elections that violated the U.S. Constitution, as well as enjoining the Vice President in his capacity as the President of the Senate. Now, it's not to say that either or, it's not an either or, it's they're not mutually exclusive. So let me, if I can, if I can kind of explain it a little bit, what I was focused on yesterday, and a couple other folks, a couple of lawyers, and then the White House was getting involved. Uh, we were trying to push to use the discretionary authority that the vice president has to say, you know what, I am the one as a federal officer presiding over this that determines who, what constitutes a legitimate uh, submittal, and then if I am even allowed under the Constitution to receive those. So on December fourteenth. When the states did submit their electoral slates, Texas v. Georgia and all the other states and all the other litigation out there in Pennsylvania and Georgia essentially argue that these states violated Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 because they didn't run their elections in the manner that the legislature set forth. So they consummated that violation on the 14th for that submittal is my argument. Now, my argument is also that yesterday... By accepting these, Pence also violated, in you know, 
in conjunction with these states by allowing them to move forward into January 6th. And the Amistad argument, from what I see, and I've read the whole thing, so I can't give you the full definitive, but I scan at the beginning, I, you know, who the plaintiffs and defense were, I looked at what they were looking for uh, in terms of a remedy, and it looks like they were more focused on the January 6th joint session where the vice president presides and has the same discretionary power. Now, what I will say that, you know, that in the planning of all this, in the actual memo, if you saw it on my pinned Twitter, there is more to it that I did not put out. And that discusses the second option. Uh, I think a little bit is discussed in the latter part of that second page, I, I believe. Uh, I'd have to look at what version is out there. Uh, but it does discuss that second viable option, which is at the moment that the joint session on the 6th begins, the vice president, now in the capacity as the, as the presiding officer or the president of the Senate of this joint session in the House, before he opens up the electors that were sent by these states in, in the envelopes and submits it to the tellers, the two tellers in the House, two tellers in the Senate, he can then, and I said this yesterday during a late periscope, I think it was right after midnight, I said, he has the opportunity because the Speaker of the House has already set the precedent and he doesn't want to violate the Constitution by shredding the electors right in front of the entire body, just like Nancy Pelosi did with the State of the Union earlier this year to the president. He can say, due to that precedent, I'm going to go ahead and tear up these six states' electors because of the precedent setting by, uh, again, I, I want to stress that, by her precedent, and more importantly, because those states violated the U.S. Constitution in the process in which they conducted their elections. And if anybody has an issue with that, you will need to file a claim in federal district court, then appeal it to the Court of Appeals, Ivan, then get it up to the, Ivan, then yeah. the Supreme Court yeah. four more years. Yeah, and I like what you said yesterday, and I overheard you say that, uh, you know, the, the, the funny thing is, is that where we had to wait for the election fraud to happen uh, to create a... Uh, to create a lawsuit and and there had to be a remedy uh there is a situation on january 6th where uh it's almost compelled that pence has to actually commit the uh act in order for the democrats to actually so they have to wait till january 6th for pence to actually exactly. commit this foul and then they can actually litigate and and who knows what's going to happen correct, after correct. that while, while i was frustrated like with many other people Again, it's not it's not a win or lose yesterday. It was another option. It's another play in the game, right? If you will, if you use the baseball analogy, right? It was a missed opportunity because that secondary opportunity can still be used as well, depending on how the second and third order effects of doing what he could have done yesterday. It would have been the states would have been forced to vote or abstain, right? Either option is beneficial to a reelection. Uh, and if it forces the states to to take a vote, well, five of these states are probably going to vote for President Trump and Vice President Pence, that slate of electors that, you know, the Republican slate. Because now the vice president is giving that indication that the ball is in your court, which implicitly means he's supporting it. And so now the party is completely unified because we all know where, Trump, where President Trump is at on this. He's fighting hard. And now this would be the constitutionally obligated act that the vice president would do in his capacity as the well, president of the and, Senate. And the best, and the best legal play. 
missed opportunity. You being a great attorney yourself, the the best legal play is usually the one where you wait till about the last minute. That's why people always, you know, oftentimes they'll. I don't just yeah. I don't disagree with the Amistad argument and that January sixth vote. Yes, that is a play. I'm I'm not going to disagree with it. Brilliant lawsuit that they filed. Um, But I will say this. Precedent setting, there's a, it's debatable. I, I'm not sure where I stand on this. Like right now, I stand on on leaning towards it would have been better to do it yesterday because it gives the states an opportunity to remedy their behavior and action because the Supreme Court didn't afford them that ruling to do so. So two things had to transpire for yesterday to really be enacted. The first is December 14th, these states violated the Constitution by consummating the act. Not, not criminal, but the violation of the Constitution. Right. And then the secondary piece is the refusal by the Supreme Court to make a ruling, an interpretation of, if they, of whether or not they violate the Constitution or not. They, they declined to rule on that. So the, in the absence of Supreme Court involvement, the federal authority, when you look at the federal government, whether it's Congress, uh, the Supreme Court, or the executive branch, the vice president is then the one that has to make the decision on the interpretation of whether or not the states violate it or not. And that was kind of my argument. So once he decided at midnight that he wasn't going to act, now I argue, and I, I'm sure the uh, uh, other people will have other views, I argue that he was complicit by not, by not denying those slates from being moved forward into the January 6th session. Now, the other argument is that, well, he doesn't really consummate that until January 2nd. Well, it's debatable, but that's that's why we have lawyers, right? But I, I considered both options, and I still favor for future precedent setting. It gives an opportunity to these states to remedy their state right. of electors. And may, maybe maybe as he didn't want to give the states... Remedy uh, that point. Maybe he didn't want to give the states an opportunity to remedy, and it's not his burden to do so. Um, there, There's that component. Do you think there's anything... Do you think there's guess, any legal ramification... I guess, Go ahead. On that, yeah, on that, yes, the states still have an opportunity to remedy it by January 6th. I guess that action yesterday would have expedited it and really put it in their court. 100 percent full that's stop a good point to make that decision and it's in that it, he would have explained that uh the governors don't do not have any say in this in calling a special legislative session it solely rests in the legislature and my interpretation of, of that article in the constitution means that the speaker of the house and the president of the senate of each of these states are the ones that calls that special legislative session now that it's, that's the only time that they can yeah. i get it their state constitution says that the governor has to call it in all other instances, in 99.9% repeating of the time, yes, the governor has to call a special legislative session unless it involves selecting electors for president. That's mm-hmm. the only time that the legislature can do it. Sorry I interrupted you. I wanted yeah. to make sure I got that in. Yeah. Do you think there's any legal ramification in, in a positive way, perhaps, um, uh, for, the tr- for the president actually retweeting your tweet uh, yesterday where you laid out the Pence card? Uh, brilliantly, and b- b- for Trump to retweet that and, and acknowledge it, and request basically that was a request for Pence to do what you were wanting Pence to do. Uh, that that maybe Trump was disenfranchised by uh, government authorities not really doing the right thing. That is, 
a novel question, and I'm going to analyze it as you asked it because I hadn't thought of that. Um, I would say I would I would talk about two components. You know, as a lawyer, you got to look at both sides. On one side, I agree with you. There's a potentiality that uh, the president could say, you know what, that was an indication that he wanted the vice president to do that. However, the vice president is the sole authority on this ministerial or constitutionally defending act. Mm -hmm. So the president could technically, I would argue that he's not a real party. He's not the authority to tell the vice, the, the president of the Senate to do this. Now, he is the authority to tell the vice president what to do, but not the president of the Senate. Does that, does that make sense? It does, yeah. Two, he, the, Michael R. Pence has two hats that he wears. As the vice president, the president, yes, has that kind of oversight. As the president of the Senate, uh, there's arguments to be made that he doesn't. And on the, on the other component is that the president tweeted it in the evening after normal business hours, and he did it from his personal account. So you have an argument to be made that he was doing it from his personal capacity, which would trigger other kind of legal authorities and analysis as opposed to in his official capacity from his POTUS Twitter account. Well, and he gave the process fair room to breathe and to do. And once it got late in the night, you know, he, he decided, or later, later in the day, he decided to, to tweet that out and uh, acknowledge, yeah. hey, why are we not I, doing the right thing here? Yeah, I, I, I've never communicated with him other than uh, I just, he's retweeted me several times over the last three weeks. I guess mm -hmm. it's like one a week now. Uh, I doubt I'm going to be able to continue that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but I have I a follow-up. He supports that. My assessment is he supports that decision, right? I mean, Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have retweeted it. But it would be a question for the president. Right. I agree with you. Um, all right. So uh, I want to also um, address one other other major thing, and that is right now the sixth goes, and you're talking about the idea that this may not even go to a uh, an objection or a vote. But the way a lot of people are looking at this right now is – that there will be objections from the, uh, the team Mo Brooks, and there will be objections from team Tommy Tuberville. We we, we got all that, and and so once right. there are these objections, they break off into their their individual chambers, and they go to a vote. Now a lot of people are suggesting that Mitch McConnell and and Thune uh, Senator Thune uh, aren't aren't going to be on board with it, and you're not going to get enough. Uh, just hang, hang on, just one second. You're not going to get enough Republicans to support that, and then with the re, the House, you're, you're outgunned. So then these these objections actually get squashed in their own chambers. Is that is that what will happen? Or you're you're talking about something that uh, that's a little different, and perhaps we don't even need to go there. So that is so far down the road. I know it's short for a lot of people. Yeah, but it's 14 days. You're talking about 14 days. Uh, so here's. My call to action, now that I've completed what I was able to do for yesterday, that's over with. The focus from today, moving to January 6th, is we have 14 days. Mm -hmm. Ignore, I mean, Celebrate your Christmas, or celebrate, right, I'm going to celebrate as well, uh, the New Year. That's great. Congress, the state legislatures that represent us, they work for us. They will not have a break. They will continue to operate, and we're going to force them to do that 
with the mo- mass mobilization that has been going on. I mean, we haven't gotten these state legislatures over the finish line yet, but the me- momentum is continuing as we've seen it in Georgia and Arizona. I mean, you're following it closely. So over the f- next 14 days, before it even gets to a vote in the, in the Congress on that day where we potentially may not have the votes, as you say, we will create an environment to ensure that we have more than the majority. And how we do that is, is multifaceted. I have, this, I have a plan that I'm going to put out today. It's more detailed of what I've been doing over the last few weeks. But essentially, it's a whole-of-government approach, actually a whole-of-nation approach. And it's divided into four components. You have the executive branch. So starting tonight, it should have been earlier, but starting tonight until January 6th in the morning, so the 5th at night, prime time, 9 p.m., the president needs to use his executive authority to call uh, a national emergency tonight on the cyber attacks that are occurring uh, from overseas, from China, from Russia, from Iran. This is not conjecture. This has already been put out there before. It's not a conspiracy. There's evidence of it. The DNI has briefed the preliminary results of the executive order that he's late for, uh, but with his assessment. But the president knows some of that stuff. Also, you have the size, the size of reports the, uh, from DHS that reported on the hacks. Some people are reporting it's Russia, maybe it's China. We don't know. It's classified. The president knows this. So then he comes out, explains to the American public that we are in a digital cyber war and being attacked by foreign actors. I, and then he would invoke uh, the authority to be able to do emergency broadcasting. This totally negates any sort of censorship that is occurring by big tech and big media. Because at that very moment, he controls the airwaves. You turn on the TV, every channel, it's the president speaking about this national threat and emergency. You turn on the radio, same thing. And that's kind of how he takes over the conversation to actually start putting forth the truth that he's been uh, stifled on the last several years, specifically the last two years. Now, every day, he needs to give updates on that threat and then also specifically discuss on how our national our, our, uh, national infrastructure and critical infrastructure is being impacted. As part of that critical infrastructure, it's the federal electoral system with specific evidence showing that it was hit and targeted. Again, it's not only going to be him, is what my recommendation is, is he's going to guide this, lead it, but you have the Treasury Secretary that can provide input. You can have the Director of National Intelligence providing input into this conversation to show and convince with compelling evidence uh, what's out there. You have the Secretary, Acting Secretary of Defense that can come and explain it. You have Ezra Cohen Watnick, who is the dual-hatted Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations and Low-Intensity Conflict, and also the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence that was just appointed on the Declassification Board that can sift through, pull out the sources and methods on information that America, the state legislatures, and the U.S. Congress needs to know to have an informed uh, uh, a decision if they are to recall the Biden electors based on that information or if the Congress uh, wants to object. And if there's a lot of information that supports foreign interfer- interference into our, uh, into our elections, I would have to venture to say that a lot of these congressmen over the next 14 days will be convinced that they must object to Biden electors from these states based on the evidence laid forth. So that's one line of effort, executive branch. 
the second line of effort. Oh, before I finish with the executive branch, you still have the attorney general, and that now the acting attorney general that has a body of holdings of information that neither the states nor the Congress has to determine if they have they have investigations going on since the 14th, because that's when the states committed their crime. Uh, and then even before that, you had lower level, you know, individuals that were poll workers, et cetera, are committing crimes. So the Department of Justice may have investigations going on that can be provided by the executive branch uh, to inform the electorate, we the people, the state legislatures in their decision-making process over the course of the next 14 days, as well as the U.S. Congress. And they're going to get the information from their election district officers. Those are the uh, attorney general's envoys to these eight cities that are contested. You have the U.S. attorneys in each of these districts. You have the FBI field offices headed up by a special agent in charge. And then also you have the postmaster general that can give a brief to the country on what is going on with these investigations that potentially are happening with whistleblowers coming out. The U.S. Postal Service uh, inspector general of the, the overall one, as well as the postmasters of these various cities can speak on that behalf. Now, let's move over. I'm going to stop there before I move on to the other one. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I think, uh, for, you know, uh, President Trump has an ally at the top of the USP, you know, the U.S. Postal Service uh, that he could rely on. DeJoy, I believe, uh, would be in charge of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And and the other thing, too, just nothing for nothing, but even if January 6th were to come and go, uh, you still have uh, crimes that were undoubtedly committed through Dominion and elsewhere. And the Supreme Court says that if they find somehow along the way, even all the way up to January 19th, that there had been fraud committed, then the candidate that committed the fraud in any one of the states becomes disqualified from the entire race. Right. Fraud vitiates everything. But that that's for later discussion. So let me just real quick recap. So executive branch talked about now the other line of effort is the Congress. So the Congress has the authority to call hearings and witnesses to inform itself in determining whether or not they're going to object to these states mm-hmm. on January 6th. They don't need to wait. They don't need to do it on January 6th because that technically you only have two hours of debate, five minutes per person under the statute. Uh, this is more complex than that when they break out in the sessions debate. They mm-hmm. need to ha- start having hearings today, tomorrow. I get it. It's Christmas. The country's on the line. You better step up. So over the course of the next 14 days or at a minimum the next 12 days where they take Christmas off and the New Year's off, so we'll call it 12 days of Christmas of hearings, each of these commit relevant committees that can call witnesses needs to do so. But they need to hear me clearly. It needs to be done in this manner, in preparation for a potential contingent vote in the House uh, for president. How should it go? So the Senate Intel Committee, the Senate Financial Services Committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and the Senate Homeland Security Committees needs to hold hearings and host their counterpart as a co-chair inside the Senate chambers. Now, who will represent the House? Most people are saying, well, that won't work because Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and and, uh, Maxine Waters. No, it's not going to work that way. This is how they get boxed out. The 12th Amendment specifically states that in a contingent election, the states are represented by one vote. You're following that, right? right, Scott? Yes, absolutely. So using that framework, 
the House as an institution, the House of Representatives as an institution, will be represented by the majority party, which right now it's either going to be 26 at a minimum yeah, Republicans. No, yeah, we're very... Maximum 20. I got you. Yeah, we're so very familiar with the delegation process. The What's that? We're very familiar with the delegation process. Yeah, so using that framework, you have Devin Nunes as a senior intelligence representative from that Republican Party representing the majority state delegations as the co-chair representing the House institution at these hearings in the Senate alongside Marco Rubio. Same thing with Jim Jordan. He would be sitting next to co-chairing with Senator Lindsey Graham in the Senate. And guess who some of these witnesses? So you get the framework. They're going to be chairing. And then for the Democrats who have a majority under the regular construct, those chairmen of those committees will have an opportunity to provide input, but as witnesses, not as members of, you know, behind the, the pedestal there. They will provide input through witnesses or as a witness, and they can be questioned under oath, etc. And then we'll bring in folks like this CEO of Dominion, Hunter Biden, right? Financial crimes that impacted the U.S. election on November 3rd. You can have folks like maybe Fang Fang can be uh, uh, subpoenaed mm. and questioned. You can have Eric Swalwell being subpoenaed. Adam Schiff uh, is going to give his input from the intel piece, the Democratic side of, of things, as a witness. And you go on. So I have this all set. I mean, I've been publishing it through this document I've been putting together since November 3rd on how things should play out. I'm going to be kind of sending it out. Today is my, my, my focus today, after yesterday, is now we need to apply pressure to the executive branch as well as the legislative branch at the federal level to start informing we the people and the state legislatures to be able to correct their fraudulent certifications. And the way to do it is through informing them through information that they have or subpoena power that they have to disclose to the public. And the reason why that opportunity exists mainly, first and foremost, is because the SCOTUS has refused Right to do that, and right. the court used to do that. So it is it is incumbent on on both bra- the two other branches of government at the federal level to provide that information, and it will get out to absolutely everybody because the president will do the right thing and invoke his national emergency order so that these hearings are going all day, every day for the next fourteen days. That is the only piece of content that the whole country and the whole planet will be consuming. Right. And that you know, you know the Democrats have gone I recommend it. The Democrats have gone scorched earth and pulled every little trick in the book with the impeachment hoax and Russia hoax and special counsels and all kinds of crazy stuff. And at some point, you right. know, it's it's our turn, it's the Republicans turn turn to to pull every little uh, trick out of the out of the hat. And I, I Ivan uh, Raiklin, right? Ivan Raiklin. Yeah. Uh, tell us how we can get a hold of you and where we can find your information that you're going to be posting today. Sure. So I am first and foremost kind of real time as I get these things together, posting it on my Twitter feed. It's at Raiklin, R-A-I-K-L-I-N. And that's really where I'm going. And, and as far as my contingency plan for communications, my primary is Twitter. My alternate is going to be Parler if I'm booted off of there. Yeah. And then contingency is going to be well, you know, LinkedIn because I have a pretty decent network there, Facebook. But uh, I, I try to put it out all there, but I just don't have the time between doing all the analysis and posting it. So if anybody wants to help 
spread it after you fact and law check everything I produce. Like I ask everybody to double check, triple check my work. If there's anything wrong, DM me so that I can and, update it. And I noticed, it's right. I noticed you had a Patreon account. What's that? Uh, it's just a PayPal. It's, yeah, uh, what PayPal. It? PayPal.me forward slash Raiklin. That's if people want to. I, I put a post up saying if you want right. to buy a bottle of wine for my wife. Because to be honest, yeah, I saw that. I'm all in. I told her I'm not waking up and breathing until January 6th. But after yesterday and after I put this out today, I think I might take a breather and join her and then the boys at, in the mountains in uh, West Virginia here shortly. All right, sounds to great. Take day off. I'm working from there. Well, Ivan, thank you so much for spending time with the Scott Adams Show today. Thank you. No, I'm honored. I, I, I keep I watch all your stuff. Not all of it, but I, I watch your yeah. very good and thorough analysis. So I respect what you're doing. All right, you're, take you're care now. Here. All right, take care. All right, thanks, guys. All right, we have. Uh, well, this only leaves us a couple moments to talk a little bit about Christmas, and we yeah, were we saying have about a minute. We have about a minute. So every year we like to talk about our favorite movies, Christmas movies. So tell uh, the listeners one of yours. It's got to be a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yeah. It's based on the Philip Van Doren story, uh, story um, The Greatest Gift. That's one of my favorites. And you know one of my uh, more recent favorites, which I just watched yesterday, The Family Man. It's based on the same uh, Dickens premise. Right. Uh, a Christmas Carol. What do you call it? Um, re, re, uh, what I call it is uh, the season of reflection, re- redemption, and redemption. renewal. Right. Where you, go, where you have and this renewal. down and out person who's thinking about what's not right in their life or something uh, doesn't seem in, in equilibrium. And they're visited in one way or another, usually through a stranger. And then they have some type of epiphany. And then they change, and they're grateful. And if, if ever there was a year for us to have those moments, it's this year, following right. COVID, fo- following this uh, very bizarre election. And we got to keep the faith, and we got to just, you know, focus on the things that matter and uh, be grateful for the things that we do have. And I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll be back uh, shortly after Christmas. So I want to thank everybody for who supports the Scott Adams Show. And thank you all for listening. My name is Scott Adams. My name is Leonor Cavetta. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye now. but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there. The path to restoring our republic was laid down by our founding fathers. The principles of freedom, liberty, personal responsibility, and limited government are conservative ideals we will never abandon. America is listening. Grassroots. Common sense. Conservative talk radio. It's on the internet. Tune in now. Red State Talk Radio. Featuring some of the most popular internet talk show hosts in America today. Are you listening? RedStateTalkRadio.com.